Now let's have a, a word of prayer together uh, so we can get started into our study here at this time. So I invite you to uh, bow your, your heads with, with me. Father in heaven, we do again thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day. The opportunity we have to come together and worship thee and uh, to be together uh, with like-minded people of faith who love Jesus. And uh, we pray for the Holy Spirit to be given to each one of us and pour, pour the Holy Spirit out upon all your people on this most holy day so that uh, we may have uh, spiritual discernment as we study your word and that we may have that peace that passeth all understanding. We thank you for the many wonderful uh, blessings that you've poured out upon us this past week and uh, for the love of uh, other saints and uh, the support of other saints. We're very thankful uh, that we press together and as we press together, uh, your blessings are manifest and we are so appreciative. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for Jesus especially who uh, took uh, this matter into his own hands and uh, is our example in all things. And we're very thankful also for the angels that you send to walk with us and and help protect us, keep us on the straight and narrow, and and fight the battles of darkness uh, for which we don't have the power uh, to do. And and so we're very, very thankful for, for that. And Father, I pray this morning for those on our prayer lists, those who are ill. We pray for Susan, um, who's battling allergies this morning. And we know of others who have been in the hospital, some who have lost family members. We pray that you'd be very near to them as well. And Father, I pray for the words to speak this morning. May they be from uh, your holy inspired uh, uh, book, your holy Bible, and from the Holy Spirit. May it be the truth. And I pray that hearts will be softened to this. And as people hear uh, these things, uh, that they realize that the powers that we're, we're battling here uh, are very real. And uh, that Jesus is more powerful than any uh, demon of darkness, and and uh, that includes Satan. And so, Father, give me the words to speak this morning. We thank you for uh, Jesus and hearing this as we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, this is part seven in the series that I have entitled uh, Spiritual Possession. And what I want to share with you is, is how to be protected from becoming possessed of devils or demons. And I'll tell you, that if you choose Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you will be harassed by demons from time to time uh, before this great controversy between Christ and Satan is finally um, finished. So, as we talk about these things, and, and, and as we've talked about them through this series, I, I don't want you to think that what I share with you here will make you completely immune to their harassment as it won't. I mean, even the Apostle Paul was harassed uh, at times. And what I mean by harassment um, is the manifestations that happen to coerce or trick or frighten or annoy us. I don't mean being tempted. Okay, There may be a fine line between the two, but there is a line. Um, according to Webster, harassed means wearied, tired, or teased. Uh, tempted means to entice, to evil, to provoke, or to try. I've heard um, 
I've heard ministers and preachers lump both together, but there is a difference between them. Being tempted plays against our carnal wants, you see, and being harassed doesn't do this necessarily. It's more likened to being bullied. Um, and so, you know, let's let's have that distinction there. And uh, there, so there's a difference between being harassed by demons and then and then being tempted. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we talk about um, what sin is and and temptations in the in the coming weeks. But uh, I will share with you that since I've begun this this series, the manifestations of of such harassment has increased. Uh, how do I put this in my immediate environment? Um, from time to time, you know, I look back in my Christian walk, oh, over 30 years now, I've seen these manifestations, and there is kind of an ebb and a flow about it, um, usually depending on whatever the situation is. I've had dreams of oppression from the devil, uh, very stark dreams, very real. But in recent months, there has been uh, an increase. You know, I've seen... I guess the best way for me to describe it is like moving shadows, um, like something just out of my eyesight. Um, I hear strange noises in the house that I haven't heard before, and this is an old house, you know, and sometimes I hear voices. That's the the strange one to me. Uh, well, one of them, you know, like a group having a conversation, and there's nobody around. Uh, at times I hear someone calling my name uh, to where I think Deb... Deb, my wife, is calling me. So I get up and I, I haul her down the stairs, but she's not there. She may be outside or somewhere, but she's not around. Um, at times I get the uneasy feeling that I'm being watched. Um, or that someone is over my shoulder. My wife will tell you I really don't like that, even when I'm working. I don't like somebody right over my shoulder. And um, I, I was talking to... Uh, to uh, one of the other believers, and I mentioned these things, and, and this one, that she, that she, the response was, well, that's just creepy. Uh, I felt someone touch me a few times on my shoulder. I felt somebody touch me on my back and, and my, my thigh, even. Uh, not a brush, a touch, a grab, like somebody's tapping me. Uh, there are items that disappear and reappear where I've already looked for them. Um, sometimes, you know, when these things happen, we may think, well, we're just imagining things. But I'm not imagining these things. And as I've said to you before, these powers of darkness are real. And so they harass us. And uh, I tend to look at it as, and I said this uh, to someone, um, I tend to look at it as dealing with, like, demon, juvenile, sophomore pranksters, you know, um, yet their intentions are, are very real. Their intentions are to destroy the works and the people of God. So it's very serious, um, you know, but when these things happen, when, when these things are manifested, it, it can be startling, uh, but I know what's going on and, and uh, well, uh, through our studies here, now you do as well. Uh, the truth does that for us, doesn't it? It uncovers what is going on and, and who it is that's doing it. It doesn't mean that we aren't startled or concerned a bit when when uh, things happen as they can. If it, it, if it happens quite a lot, it can wear on you. And, and, uh, and uh, um, But we aren't necessarily tricked by them, see? 
It's, it's like an annoyance. And so we do as Paul did, remember, with that demon-possessed slave girl who was following him and hollering out. We pray for help and re, we rebuke the demon in the name of Jesus. And we're going to get more in, uh, uh, into how to do that, what to do about that a little bit later on. But God's word is true. And it gives us the confidence to resist these forces. For, after all, Jesus has promised that he loves us. He's promised that he's going to protect us. Um, you know, but sometimes we let our guard down, fear can set in. We take our eyes off the Lord uh, for maybe just for a moment. And we're all human beings, and that does happen at times in our walk, doesn't it? If we're honest with ourselves, that happens. Distractions grab our mind. And so, you know, we need to pray. And, and I pray to be better at allowing God to build that hedge around my mind. Uh, and I want you to have that hedge of protection as well. Um, I will say, and this is for those, you know, uh, church members and those brethren that uh, we're in contact with, after sending out the email oh, a couple weeks ago that these demonic manifestations, they have virtually ceased. So, you know, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. And I want to thank you very, very much for, for always praying for us here. Uh, God is very wonderful toward us, each one of us, friends. And uh, we need to praise the Lord and thank Him for the angels that He sends to help us. Amen. Uh, knowing the, the truth about these demons and their schemes and how to be protected from their wiles is our greatest armor against demon possession. So while we may be harassed uh, by them on occasion, uh, we can be confident in the fact that Jesus has promised us power to overcome the greatest of their assaults and be safe from being possessed by them. In Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it says, and he ordained twelve, and speaking of Jesus, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him. You know, sometimes we read over these things and, and uh, it's uh, just general, we th may think it's general knowledge, but notice what, what it, it says here. It says that they should be with him, and that's a key for us. We need to be with him, right? And so it says he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. And, what's it say in verse 15? To have power. Power for what? To heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And when you look at when Jesus sent uh, the, the disciples out to do ministry work, healing sicknesses, casting out devils, calling people to repentance and, and, and telling them about the kingdom of God. They're all put together. Casting out devils is included. But somehow, that always seems to get left out. We talk about evangelism. Luke 10, verse 19. Behold, I give unto you power. Who is it that gives us the power? It's Jesus Christ. He gives us power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. What? over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And so we, we need to come to this realization that we're called to do these things, but God equips us to do it. And it's power from God. We have no power in of ourselves to do any of this. 
And who receives that kind of power? I mean, can it be purchased? Let's think about it for a moment. Knowing the evil that is in this world and how powerful the devil is, doesn't it sound extremely appealing to have power to be protected against him? What is this power? How do we receive it, this hedge of protection? Uh, let me share this with you. This is from the book uh, Maranatha. And I'll, I'll refer to this book a few times as we go on. It's a fantastic um, devotional book. Uh, Maranatha, page 64. Man is Satan's captive and is naturally inclined to follow his suggestions and do his bidding. He has in himself no power to oppose effectual resistance to evil. It is only as Christ abides in him by living faith that man may venture to face so terrible a foe. So, man is naturally inclined, because of sin, because of the fall, man is naturally inclined to follow the suggestions of Satan. And this is why the demon-possessed man in the synagogue, you, you recall, chose to live a life of indifference to the things of God and pursue frivolous and, and carnival pleasures instead. That's man's natural inclination to follow his heart, to follow his passions. Have you heard that espoused before? Just follow your heart. That's a prevailing theme in our society today, isn't it? Just follow your heart. Do as you desire shall be the whole law. Who says that? Do you recall? That's the law in the religion of Thelema, espoused by Aleister Crowley. We touched on one of our earlier studies. But what does God say about the current heart of man? What's he say? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So can you trust your heart? Can you trust your feelings? Can you really trust your passions? And we have a, a whole culture today that says, Oh, follow your heart. Well, who's really saying that? Let me remind you of the ten paths that lead to demon possession that I shared with you last time. Uh, and I'll just go through them quickly. Uh, here are the ten paths that can lead toward demon possession, they will. First was being indifferent to spiritual things. You're just indifferent to it. You don't care one way or the other. Second is unbelief. You know, complete unbelief in God. Third is worldly surroundings. If you're a friend of the world, the Bible says you're an enemy of God. Isn't Satan an enemy of God? Absolutely. Uh, the fourth was lifestyle choices that we make that benumb our senses, uh, all the senses. Um, anything that alters one's senses and places him in a, a passive state can allow the entrance of devils. You know, passively yielding your mind, you know, through meditation, hypnotism, yoga, uh, the spiritual formation exercises, neuro-linguistic programming, etc. So those mind sciences. Uh, a fifth thing, isolation, you know, separating from humanity. That's one of the things that the Jews did. Everybody was considered unclean, remember? And so they, they basically built these walls. They tried to separate themselves. And if we separate ourselves, you know, that there's an appeal uh, 
that we have we the the mountain's calling us so we we want to get rid of everything and run to the mountain find a cabin out desolate somewhere well that can be very dangerous now there will be a time for that but that's according to god's will isn't that right so we got to be very careful uh, a sixth thing deception including self deception you know being addicted to oneself you know neglecting prayer or bible study or fellowship that's a long you know, the opposite of isolation, right? You know, witnessing and other faith-building activities. Um, when you neglect those things, you begin to dwell more upon yourself. So you're following after Satan's will, not God's will. Uh, seventh thing, uh, rejecting Bible truth. That's just, you just outright reject it. I've had studies with people that they're... They, they're going along and, oh, this I've never heard this before. This is fantastic. And, they accept it. and then you get to something that crosses their, you know, their lifestyle. And yeah, they may just outright reject it, and then they don't want to study anymore. We've got to be very, very careful because Jesus is the truth, the Bible tells us. And we don't want to reject Jesus, do we? Uh, the eighth thing, disobedience to God's law. That's, it all revolves around God's law, friends. I'll get to that in a minute. And then, of course, there are some things that may seem just outright, you know, obvious. Uh, number nine, dabbling in the occult and the paranormal. You know, by engaging in the occult and most paranormal activities, like astrology, fortune-telling, clairvoyance, you know, you go see the psychic, those kind of things. Or you seek aid or enlightenment from the type of spiritual entity. That's an excellent way to become demon-possessed. Uh, Ten. Outright rebellion, like Aleister Crowley, you know, choosing Satan as your God. You seek power, authority from a supernatural source, uh, you know, using witchcraft, sorcery, magic, charms, voodoo, etc., to give yourself power or influence over others in a supernatural manner. You're just asking Satan to use you. He becomes, he is your God, and you choose him as your God. You know, kind of like Simon Magus that we, we uh, studied about. And so, man is naturally, we read the quote, that man is naturally inclined to follow these pathways because it involves following your heart. It involves following, and, and, and what is meant by that is following the fleshly desires. So unless there is a change in our natural inclination, unless there is a change in our desires, we will follow one or many of these paths I just talked about and become possessed by demons before, well, before our probation ends, probation for man ends. We will be on the wrong side, and there are only two sides. Now, how did this change from perfect godly inclinations to evil inclinations happen? And I'm going to spend a lot more time on that in the coming weeks, but let me share a bit about it now to kind of set the foundation of our study here this morning, which is dealing with how to, to be protected against the possession of being possessed by demons and then to cast them out. Um, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, right? We all know the story. They chose to disobey God, but when they did that, their brain was physically changed because of that choice. The lower brain, the lower passions, those passions of the heart, the emotions and such, they 
took the ascendancy over what is referred to as the higher brain, the reasoning center, the frontal lobe that's in our head. So their desires were no longer to bring glory to God, you see, but to please themselves. As Satan said, you, you can be God yourself, right? And so they wanted to please themselves first or to follow their heart without reasoning cause and effect. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. It says there that the eyes of them both were opened. As soon as they gave control over to the lower brain, they chose to disobey God and they lost their clothing of light. They lost that Christ's righteousness, that glory. They saw that they were naked. They saw that they were no longer representing the image of God. And all was lost, right? Yes. All was lost. Until Jesus stepped in and gave man hope. All humanity was at that moment lost. Let's go back to the book Maranatha, page 139. Satan is determined to have the human race as his subjects, but Christ has paid an infinite price that man may be redeemed from the enemy and that the moral image of God may be restored to the fallen race. Fallen men may through Christ find access to the Father, may have grace to enable them to be overcomers through the merits of a crucified and risen Savior. So, with the fall, by choosing to disobey God, the brain was then, the brain of Adam and Eve, was deformed, you could say. As the inclinations uh, of human beings here on earth were changed from loving God and following His will, to hating God and doing their own thing, following their own desires. The law of love... Self-love. And again, doesn't that sound exactly like Aleister Crowley's religion of Thelema? Well, it does because it is. But it didn't originate with him, did it? (laughs) But God didn't leave us to die, did he? He had a plan from the very beginning, and that plan was Jesus Christ. Praise God for Jesus. Genesis chapter 3, look at verses 14 and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And verse 15, this is, this is the promise to us. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Adam and Eve had lost the strength to hate sin. But God said, I'll put that hatred within their reach again, and I'll give them strength. I'll provide someone to remove the guilt from them and through him, and and change their desires from evil to good, from unrighteousness to righteousness, through this seed. Their higher powers will once again be given the ability to rule over the lower passions by His grace, by accepting 
His power to overcome that tendency to evil. I'll change them back into my image through the seed who I will send in my name. This is what he's saying. All will have a choice to be changed or not through this seed that is to come. And like I've said to you many times before, friends, um, there is a battle that wages for the control of our mind. And it's a real battle between God and Satan. And God loves us, and he wants to save us from the devil, but he will not coerce our will. We remain free moral agents. So we have a choice to make, right? God appeals to us through our reasoning center, Satan through our senses and passions. Remember last time we were together, we read about appealing through that brain, the nerves, endings of the brain that controls our body. That's how God communicates. The reasoning center, Satan uses the senses. But God wants to reason with us. We read that. Isaiah 1 and verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so as we have seen, we've been studying these things. Satan appeals to us through our senses, the lower passions of our flesh, the same way he appealed to Eve. So if we want to have this hedge of protection around us uh, that's um, going to keep us from becoming demon-possessed, we must allow God to put within us this enmity against sin. And how does this happen? Well, there are steps to being an overcomer, and I'll get, again, into greater detail about that as we get into the, the series about sin. But here's a nutshell for our study here this morning. Remember Jesus said what he said to Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to him at night and had questions for him. And Jesus said to him in John 3, uh, verses 5 and 6, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is what? What do he say? Is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Now, to be born of water and of the Spirit is the same as saying to be born again. That is, to be born again from above. You look a couple of verses before that. And those who are born from above have God as their Father. So they resemble Him in character. See? And henceforth they aspire, by the grace of Christ, to live without sin. To live above sin. Choose not to yield their wills to commit sin. They have that reasoning center you know, controlling the lower brain, those passions, the following of the heart. <laughs> See, But the principle in the natural world that all living things reproduce after their kind, you know, when God created the world, he said that, after their kind, it's equally true in the spiritual world. In the New Testament, flesh and spirit, and you do this uh, and study that out, they are opposites. And they actually represent two antithetical and exclusive kind of planes of existence, right? So if you're born again, your natural tendencies are changed in the process of justification and sanctification. God imputes His righteousness to forgive you and imparts His righteous power to give you victory over and a hatred for, right? And victory over the natural tendencies or inclinations to choose you know, evil or unrighteousness. 
me read this to you. It's from Manuscript Releases, Volume 9, page 324. Manuscript Releases, Volume 9. Notice what we read here. <clears throat> Among all who walk in harmony with God, there must be perfect freedom from all the natural passions of the human heart. All who give themselves to the service of Christ will follow the example of Christ and will be perfect overcomers. When self ceases to wrestle for the supremacy and the heart is worked by the Holy Spirit, the soul lies perfectly passive. And then the image of God is mirrored, mirrored <laughs> upon the heart. The soul is in accord with the mind of God, and human identity is lost in Jesus Christ. Then all temporal and spiritual transactions will need to be done, which need to be done, will be done under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, without worry, perplexity, murmuring, fault-finding, accusation, or wrathful speeches, which among those who have not surrendered self to God, are often not restrained, but pour forth from the lips in any place and under any circumstance when selfish ideas are interfered with. Who presides over and controls the selfish heart? Could the curtain be withdrawn, that passionate, professed believer would see a legion of satanic angels controlling him with their own spirit. He is standing in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of Satan's hellish army, and his conduct shows that he has no right to the name of Christian. He professes much, but brings forth thornberries. Self is the mainspring of action. And so, I want to share this with you because you see the two sides here. You know, Satan's side, God's side. And that there is, it is possible to be an overcomer, to have our desires changed as we walk with Christ. Um, and so the hedge that protects us, and, and she alludes to it, is the Holy Spirit of God. And also the law of God is a hedge about us. Because if we keep the law of God, which the Holy Spirit enables us to do, then it protects us from the results of breaking that law, and because it does that, it protects us from possession of demons. See? We don't give Satan permission. Remember, the Bible tells us the law is spiritual. And as we keep it through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we cease from choosing sin, Satan then has no entrance or foothold upon us. Remember, Jesus said that. He said, Satan has come and found nothing in me. See? So while we are Christ's, we have all heaven as our literal defense against the wicked one. And just as the Bible and the, the end time prophet has repeatedly said, this conflict has everything to do with the law of God. Sin is the transgression of that law, isn't it? And Satan wants to possess you and the deed to you is written in the choices you make that break God's law. It gives Satan permission to assail you, to possess you. I hope you understand what, what I'm sharing here. 
Let's go back to the book Maranatha, page 91. The expulsion of sin is the act of the soul itself. True, we have no power to free ourselves from Satan's control, but when we desire to be set free from sin, and in our great need cry out for a power out of and above ourselves, the powers of the soul are imbued with the divine energy of the Holy Spirit, and they obey the dictates of the will in fulfilling the will of God. That is a powerful statement right there. That's a key, how we overcome. Go to page 95 of Maranatha. She says, So long as the people of God preserve their fidelity to Him, so long as they cling by living faith to Jesus, they are under the protection of heavenly angels, and Satan will not be permitted to exercise his hellish arts upon them to their destruction. But those who separate themselves from Christ by sin are in great peril. Well, how do we cling by living faith to Jesus? Right? Well, as we saw before, first we've got to be born again. Isn't that true? We need to repent, confess our sins, and accept Jesus as not only our Savior, but also the Lord, the Master of our life. Now, how do we cling by living faith to Jesus? We need to learn about the power of prayer. We need to have conversations with Him. That's what a relationship's about, right? Um, the disciples were astonished by the prayers of Jesus. And they asked Him to teach them how to pray, you recall. And I, I've done a, a, you know, a sermon about this subject, and I lay out the principles of tapping into that power of prayer, which um, you know, I may present that again in the next series when we talk about sin. But Paul said something very interesting in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. It's very short. He said, he said, pray without ceasing. Literally, in the Greek, it's, it means incessantly pray, is what he was saying, with an emphasis on the idea of continuity. You know, there should be a constant spirit of prayer, you know, uh, breathing through our life. <laughs> Because there should never be a disconnection with heaven. And that's what Paul's saying. We should always be connected with heaven. You know, you read about Paul labored night and day, it says in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He also prayed night and day, if you look in chapter 3. And his many activities didn't crowd out his prayer life. So he he could say, pray without ceasing. And, And so... Active connection with the Heavenly Father needs to be maintained. And so, you know, that's what we, what he means by pray without ceasing. And so, you know, I encourage you, study the prayer life of Jesus as your example. How do we cling by living faith to Jesus? Well, we need to submit ourselves to God, don't we? That sounds like a given. But notice what comes along with that when you submit yourself to God. James puts it rather well, James 4, verses 7 and 8. The first thing we need to do, he says, is to submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Right? Then, he says, resist the devil and he may flee from you. 
he may contemplate fleeing from you? No, it says he will flee from you. Then he says, draw nigh to God. That means get closer to God and he will draw close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So the result of submitting to God is that we have strength to resist the devil. And what happens when we resist the devil? By the power of Jesus, he flees. And I'll tell you, friends, he will always flee when confronted by Christ. From the book, The Desire of Ages, page 130. We cannot save ourselves from the tempter's power. He has conquered humanity. And when we try to stand in our own strength, we shall become a prey to his devices. But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Proverbs 18.10 Satan trembles and flees before the weakest soul who finds refuge in that mighty name. Praise Jesus, friends. How do we cling by living faith to Jesus? That's that hedge of protection, see? We cling to Jesus by living faith, she said. Let's look at John chapter 15. John 15, verses 5 to 8. Jesus said here, He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. And if we're Christ's disciples, we're, we're not Satan's disciples, Right? Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 405. The more closely the people of God strive to imitate Christ, the more perseveringly will they be pursued by the enemy. But their nearness to Christ strengthens them to resist the efforts of our wily foe to draw them from Christ. That's where we get our strength. So as men abide in Christ, Christ dwells in them and they become partakers as Peter said, of the divine nature. And Satan will have no entrance. He'll have no ground to stand on to possess the person who is already possessed by the Holy Spirit. So those who cling by faith to Jesus can never be possessed by the devil. As long as you cling by faith, living faith, she said, to Jesus. Now let's look at a couple more things before we get into how to cast out demons. The I want to emphasize that the preparatory work has to be done first in our life, right? This being born again and that process. Because we've seen the examples, and I'll share share one with you here in just a moment. If you're not with Christ, Satan doesn't recognize Jesus in you. So we have to do the preparatory work first. Psalms 89 and verse 15 says, Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. We shall what? We will walk in the what? 
the light, right? And this goes right along with what Jesus said in John 12, verse 35. He said, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. So we must live up to all the truth that God has revealed to us, all the truth that, that he has shared with us and that he shares with us, all that we know. And the amount of light, of course, that, that truth, um, it's different for each individual, you know, because we're, we're all on the same, you've heard me say before, we're all on the same road, but we may be at different mile markers, <laughs> okay? But each one of us must abide in the light that, they, that we have. And we are to do more than than just believe the light. Jesus said we're to walk in the light, and this includes, you know, all the light. You know, includes uh, uh, health reform, which many of us, I think, for many of us, and probably most of us, is our hardest obstacle. Um, that's how Eve got tripped up, wasn't it? So that that's difficult, but we need to walk with the light. And then here's another one: Revelation fourteen twelve, and we're Adventists, we know this by heart, Revelation 14, 12. You know, it gives two characteristics of God's faithful followers. And what does it say? Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that do what? Keep the commandments of God. See, it, it comes down to the law of God, doesn't it? They keep the commandments of God and, and the faith of Jesus. So when we, by faith, cling to Jesus, by a living faith, we will keep His commandments. We will choose to obey Jesus because we love Him. Therefore, we are an enemy to Satan. And I want you to remember, remember those ten items I shared with you about opens the door to being possessed by demons? Commandment breakers have opened a door to be possessed by the devil. Because who are you really choosing when you break a commandment? See? So we want to be commandment keepers. And if we truly love Jesus and have given our will to Him, we will keep the commandments of God. Let's go back to the book Maranatha. Page 127. The Lord has singled us out and made us subjects of His marvelous mercy. Shall we be charmed with the pratings of the apostate? Shall we choose to take our stand with Satan and his host? Shall we join with the transgressors of God's law? Rather, let it be our prayer, Lord, put enmity between me and the serpent. If we are not at enmity with his works of darkness, his powerful folds encircle us, and his sting is ready at any moment to be driven into our hearts. We should count him a deadly foe. We should oppose him in the name of Christ. What's she say there? Oppose him in what? In the name of Christ. Our work is still onward. Let all who name the name of Christ clothe themselves with the armor of righteousness. That's wonderful. As Paul tells us to, right? In Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 13, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. I mean, it just makes sense. A half-armed soldier, he's going to pay for that kind of rashness, isn't he? He goes out with a false sense of security, and the enemy is sure to seek out where he's unprotected. Which, you know, we have examples of. There were some unconverted um, Jewish exorcists who tried to cast out a demon, and that dem- demoniac physically attacked them. Okay? I'll get to that in a minute. But in view of the variety of foes that are against us and the the various weaknesses of the flesh I think nothing less than the entire armor of God is going to suffice us as we battle against these forces of evil these forces of darkness and one last element that keeps us clinging by living faith to Jesus is and this is so underrated but it's sharing the light we have with others Uh, Jesus told us to let our light shine. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. It pushes us, see? It pushes us to obey Him. It pushes us to share the truth about Him with all. Desire of Ages, page 825, Where there is no active labor for others, love wanes and faith grows dim. Review and Herald, June 18, 1908. Wherever you are, she says, let your light shine forth. Hand our papers and pamphlets to those with whom you associate when you are riding on the cars, visiting, conversing with your neighbors, and improve every opportunity to speak word in season. The Holy Spirit will make the seed productive in some hearts. So all of these things that I've talked about so far this morning. All these things, they help to to build, uh, as you cling with living faith to Jesus, right? All these things help to build a wall or hedge around us that Satan cannot penetrate, though he tries. That's where harassment comes in, see? Not only can he not penetrate it, but when rebuked, he will flee. And so you see, these are... um, These are prerequisites if we are to be able to cast out devils and heal the sick and spread the gospel with power, frankly, to do the works of Jesus, right? So, now, I'm going to talk a bit about casting out, the actual casting out of devils and and, uh, unclean spirits and such. And I enter into this subject carefully, um, for the fear that people might misunderstand what I'm saying, because when I when I talk to you about casting out devils, how many of you have seen ministers and pastors, let's say like Benny Hinn, um, and, and those like him that claim to have a specialty in this, and you you see it happening in churches where folks are lined up, and one by one they're getting hit, you know, and they fall down, they're writhing around. It looks like. I don't know, cattle being branded or something, you know. Um, Well, 
we've all got these different concepts of what that means. You know, casting out demons. Or you've got a dozen people holding somebody down. I've seen that before. I mean, you read about that in Mark 5. In the Gospel of Mark, remember? Often they'd bind him with shackles and chains and he'd break them. But, you know, I mean, keep in mind he had a whole legion of devils. So, But it usually doesn't happen that way, see? It takes more than just a few words spoken over a telephone, for example. You know? So what do you what what do you do to cast out devils? How does it happen? What does the Bible say about it? Remember in the the examples we looked at when Jesus cast out demons that he usually wouldn't have well first of all he wouldn't have a conversation with him, right? He didn't allow the devils to speak. And I've read about these exorcism ministries and they say yeah I was talking to this devil right here and I identified him you know he was the devil of hay fever and I said you sneeze out you devil of hay fever you know and I've read things like that and I think to myself how ridiculous is that these people actually have a conversation with the demon they talk to them but Biblically speaking, you don't want to engage the devils in conversation. They are to be rebuked. Remember, Jesus said to the demons, be quiet. It's like he always said to them, be quiet, hush up. And then, and of course, there was, always, there was that one time he said to the one, what's your name? Right? And he did that really for our benefit, so we'd know how many demons had possessed that particular person. But he didn't want to enter into a dialogue with them. That's dangerous ground. Remember, Eve did that and she became hypnotized by the devil. When Jesus came to resurrect Moses, the devil said, You can't have him. He's mine. He sinned. And Jesus said, No, I've forgiven him. He didn't enter into a conversation with him, did he? He said, The Lord rebuked thee and he took Moses to heaven. So you don't want to get into a dialogue with the devil. And like I said, we're all in trouble today because Eve got into a discussion with the devil. Have you ever heard that expression, silver-tongued devil? That's probably an old expression, but Satan's the one that started with it. <laughs> and so you don't want to think you're going to out-talk him. The only thing you want to quote to the devil is Scripture in the name of Jesus. Let's look at Mark chapter 1. Do we, we talk about this. Mark chapter 1, verse 23, it says, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Now, this is one of the examples we looked at at the very beginning of this series. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, What? Hold thy peace. And then he said, And come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. So they have to obey. Jesus has authority, doesn't he? Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 8, when he sent out the apostles, he said, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, 
And what else? He said, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. So whose authority do we have to do these things? Is it our authority? No, we don't have any authority, do we? Does Jesus have authority? Do you really believe that Jesus has authority over the devil? Then if you enter into prayer, friends, with that in mind, and you believe it, you're going to see results when you let your light shine to others. Now here's, here are um, some of the principles in the Bible for casting out devils. And I'll tell you, as I usually do, um, please study this out for yourself. Always study it for yourself. And, and check me out. You owe it to yourself to check me out on what I share with you. But here are a few principles, and there really aren't many, as casting out demons is just one facet of the work God has for his people to do. That's not all that Jesus did, cast out demons. But we tend to have this, I think, this stigma, it seems, about casting out demons that we we don't have with maybe any of the other work that Christ has, has called us to do. Maybe because we're dealing directly with the enemy. Um, but the same prerequisites are required as for any other gospel work. Um, you know, friends, <laughs> that's true. Before you can do anything like this, you need to prepare your own heart. If you're going to cast out a demon, you need to be praying. If you're praying for somebody that you, you really believe is more than demon harassed, and we should always pray for each other because we're all tempted and harassed, make sure that you are in a spiritual position to pray and have those prayers heard. Proverbs 28 verse 9 says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. While God passes over the lack of conformity to his law in those who have had no opportunity to discover those claims that God has on them. You know, he winks at that. Um, God will not accept the service of those who have deliberately turned away from his law. Why? Because they're sinners. And if he did that, it'd be sanctifying willful rebellion, and God will not do that. That's why Jesus died on the cross. God couldn't say, oh, well, it's okay. So you need to ask God to forgive you your sins. You need to ask God to hear your prayers, not because you are righteous, but for the sake of Christ's righteousness. The Bible tells us in Galatians 1, 6, uh, excuse me, Galatians 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. See? You'd hate to go to someone to cast out the devil and you catch what they've got. <laughs> right? So you need to do it in an attitude of humility. And by the way, you know why I, I shared that? When you enter into this activity, you want to pray and make sure that you're sent of God to do it. Not that it's your calling or anything, you know. But what I'm saying is you don't want to have a kind of a Simon Magus type attitude. You hear somebody's possessed, oh, and you volunteer yourself and go do it, and God hasn't, through the Holy Spirit, moved you to go do it. You see? And this is what I 
you know, was alluding to earlier, Acts chapter 19. Um, here's an example of that, verses 13 to 17. It says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, that means they were, they were Jewish exorcists, <laughs> they claimed to be, see. These certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. <laughs> and there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul, yeah, I know him, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So, you know, friends, what I'm saying is you want to make sure First of all, you want to make sure that you know Jesus, right? What did that devil say? He said, I know Paul, I know Jesus, I don't know you. Those Jews had no authority to be there. None. So if you're going to enter into prayer that someone else is delivered, then you make sure you've got that relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? And this may seem obvious, but if you are cherishing a secret sin, it needs to be repented of and forsaken. So if Jesus knows you, the devil will know that Jesus knows you, and you are a member of Christ's family, and you are there by His authority. And devils, these demons, will recognize it. If you don't have any authority, that demon will let you know it in a big way. Bank on it. In a violent way. Um, I had a little experience with it in my early walk. knew people who thought they were called to be exorcists and they got in a bad situation, and they barely came out of it alive. The demon just about killed them. So you want to be sure you're led by the Holy Spirit. And, and let me say that here that um, God's not saying that the only person that can cast out a demon is one who's completely sanctified, you know, has the character of Jesus perfectly revealed in their life. None of the disciples were in that spiritual condition of having a perfected character of Christ. However, they had repented of their sins, and they were living up to the light they knew and could understand. And Jesus directly gave them authority to do His works. And they did. But sometimes they failed at it. I'll touch on that in just a second. So, do the preparatory spiritual work, friends, which we should be doing every day anyway, right? So here are three steps. I'm going to share with you three steps. And I told you there wasn't many. <laughs> but here are three steps for casting out unclean spirit devils, demons. Step one. Earnestly pray for those who are possessed. 
Now, I know that stands maybe stands as a basic, right? But you want to be praying in an ongoing basis for them as soon as you've heard about it. Bang. Remember, Paul said, pray without ceasing. You're in an attitude, that connection with God, right? Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So when you're praying, believe that God is going to set them free of this demon. So you come to him and you ask in faith, nothing wavering, right? And believe your prayers being answered. You remember that father who, who brought his son to Jesus and the disciples tried to cast the devil out of him and they couldn't? Remember? Don't be discouraged if you're unsuccessful because you're in good company, really. Sometimes the apostles were unsuccessful. So what I'm saying is don't give up. Um, if you've been led there to do that, there's a purpose for it, see. But they said to Jesus, they said, Lord, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, it's in Matthew 17 and verse 21. And Jesus said, How be it this kind goeth out, goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Sometimes we may think um, that we're ready, but we may not be ready. Because that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking not so much about the strength of the demon. See? He's, he's referring to us. Fasting and prayer reveals it to us. See? And it prepares us. Um, James chapter 5, verse 14, 15. You want to anoint them with oil if the opportunity exists or requires it. James said, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now I share this because we don't always know if, um, if the sickness is purely medical or maybe it's a combination of medical and spiritual, a demon. A demon may be involved. I mentioned to you before uh, about some of the testimonies that uh, Danny Vieira has given about demons that have come out of people when they are being treated for health issues. Right? So either way, oil, oil is a symbol of what? The Holy Spirit, Right? So you pray over them, you anoint them with oil. Now someone might might say, well, you need to always do this. Which I can't, I can't really say is a bad idea, but I'll tell you that it isn't always necessary. Jesus didn't always fast and pray before casting out a demon, and neither did the other apostles. I mean, sometimes the situation requires an immediate response, and you can't say, well, give me three days to fast and pray, and I'll get back to you. <laughs> right? The fasting and prayer has more to do with the disciples' condition than it does the demon, okay? And, and that's why I want to emphasize there. Uh, step two, cite Scripture. Use the Word of God. When Jesus was battling the devil over and over, He said, it is written. It is written. Now, don't get in a conversation with Him. You're rebuking Him, but you're claiming the promises that you find in the Word. It is written. And again, it is written. Don't get in conversation with these demons. Use the word and be done with it. 
I mean, don't get into a scripture quoting contest either. That's not the purpose, right? Because the devil, he'll quote scripture. But I'll tell you, demons hate the word of God. And it's that word that God honors when acted upon by faith. Sometimes all that is needed is a rebuke in the name of Jesus. Which brings me to the third step. Step three. Invoke as your authority the name of Jesus. Now, I've, I've heard pastors abuse that, and they almost repeat the name of Jesus in an irreverent way. Um, like it's some kind of powerful spell they're citing, you know. We should take the name of the Son of God with reverence upon our lips. But you remember, Paul became greatly annoyed when that demon-possessed girl was following him, and he turned and he said to the demon, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what he said? And that's just one example that you find. So, proclaim the name of Jesus and in the authority of Jesus. And this authority has been given to all, actually, who are followers of Jesus. But if you're following, you have that relationship with Christ, and you have the Holy Spirit with you, you'll be led uh, if you're to be there and do that or not. Christ said in Mark chapter 16... Verse 17 and 18. He said, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them, they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And so, I want to share, if this this happens, you, you cast out the demon, the demon flees, there is a work to do after the person has been delivered. That person needs support. They need to be educated. They need training in the school of Christ. So be persistent and be consistent in your walk. And sometimes you may have to repeat the work with the same individual. Right? We're all humans. We make mistakes. So repeat these steps as often as needs to be done. Mary Magdalene, remember, it says she fell seven times back into her old patterns and Jesus had to deliver her again. She had the, the... those demons. She became possessed. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 43, He said, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, You know, I'm going to return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. And that sounds kind of like Mary Magdalene, what happened to her, doesn't it? In other words, don't leave a vacuum. (laughs) The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. You may have to pray many times. You may have to do this many times. Um, I mean, there are many times that Jesus prayed over his own apostles and they fell. But God wants to set us free, friends. And the good news is that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Now I want to close, and I appreciate you hanging in here with me. I want to close by sharing a testimony from a minister that uh, I know, I'm acquainted with him, uh, about casting out a demon, one, one that he ran into. And I want to share it because I want to share it as an example for us who are living in society today. And, and in fact, I, I just read 
a uh, I read an article that the calls for exorcisms have dramatically increased in the last few years, which means there's a lot more demon activity. And so, you know, we are going to have to deal with this. This is why this is one of the things that we're called to do in our walk with Christ. We're going to be faced with the enemy. He's not going to retreat except by the authority of Christ. So, I want to share this with you. This is his testimony. He says, I knew that I had no power to deliver this man from the devil's grasp, so I knelt down and prayed and made sure I had on the panoply of heaven, meaning the complete armor or defense of God. That's what that means. He wanted to make sure he had the armor of God on. So he says, that I had on the armor of God, let's say, before I dared go over to their house, and when I was sure of heaven's blessing, see, you want to make sure that God's calling you to go there, I went, and when I arrived, her husband was lying on the floor, all rolled up in a large area rug and half naked. When I isn't that something that we've haven't you learned of people who are really possessed by demons and a lot of demons? It's like they they have this aversion to clothing. <laughs> they want you to be naked because it brings shame to God's image, friends. Anyway. He says, when I came in and sat down, he didn't seem to be aware of my presence. But when she called to him and said, Honey, Jack is here, he opened his eyes, unrolled himself from the carpet, and backed away from me into the corner of the room as if he had seen something terrifying. And at that moment I knew that the demon that was controlling him had seen the holy angel that was by my side, and I wasn't the least bit afraid. So I began to talk to him and rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus, and he crawled over to me and wrapped his arms around my legs and begged me to pray for him. And I'll tell you, friends, it was a long struggle where he was wanting to be set free. But the devil didn't want to let him go. But finally the victory was gained. And when I left, he was clothed and in his right mind like the two demoniacs that Jesus healed. I haven't seen this couple since, and I don't know if this man is still free. But I praise God that the victory was won that night and that I got to see firsthand what the devil, devil is capable of and especially what holy angels are capable of. And I tell you, as long as we are clothed with the panoply of heaven, that's again, that's the armor of God, we don't have to fear anything the devil throws at us. I want to share that as an example. What This is just you know relatively recent within the last couple years um, but as also an encouragement and as the the prophet of the Lord says cling with living faith to Jesus and the devil has no entrance in us he can't do a thing to us he can harass us you know and so we know as the Bible told us the time that we're living in the devil has come down with great wrath and so we need to know we have a very real enemy out there and and that God has given us the tools, and through Christ, the authority, um, and, and with the Holy Spirit, to find victory and to help free others from the devil's devices. Amen. I appreciate you for hanging in here with me. Let's uh, bow our heads and have a word of prayer together. 
Father in heaven, we thank you again so much for Jesus. We thank you for your love towards us, that you don't leave us to the wiles of the enemy, that you love us so completely uh, and and so, um, so, what's the word I'm looking for? So full of mercy toward us. You send angels to help us and and to protect us. You wish us to be saved. And you've promised to protect us if we look up to Jesus and and we accept that gift of your Son in our life and on, on a daily basis. And so, Father, we thank you that you love us and that you show mercy to us, that you've forgiven us our sins. And you give us courage and and strength to stand against this enemy and the authority of Jesus. And so we pray for holy angels to be with us now as we go about each day and we walk, and and especially when we come face-to-face with situations and face-to-face with the the enemy. Uh, We prayerfully ask for the authority of Jesus to do as He's asked us to do. We know that when you ask us to do things, you enable us to do it. And so we pray for that strength, that power, that courage, and we thank you and praise your holy name this Sabbath day, and for always. May we be found faithful when Jesus comes. We pray in His blessed name. Amen.